Psalm 103, verses 1 through 2 say this, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name adding emphasis and repeating itself. In the opening stanza of verse 2, it says it again, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Good day, everyone, and welcome to this Thursday edition of All Things Apostolic. I am Pastor Jeremy Wilbanks, your host, and I'm looking forward to this session that we're going to spend some time together in today. Our opening question is this, what does it mean to live life theologically, and what is the biggest challenge to doing so? Just a few days ago, I was privileged to be with some friends of mine, and we had a wonderful discussion. They're great men of God, pastors, great preachers, great leaders, uh, men that are important to our movement uh, and to the apostolic world in general. And we were talking about the nature of Scripture and how is it supposed to be understood. And there are two, in theological discussions, there are two um, primary things that, uh, two primary ways that Scripture is supposed to be understood. Number one, uh, how is scripture written? What is the foundational way in which scripture was written? Number one, is it could be is it written ontologically, or number two, is it written soteriologically? Is it written ontologically, or is it written soteriologically? Now, ontology is the study of being, and soteriology is uh, these are classic definitions. The study of being is ontology. The study of salvation is soteriology, and so uh, maybe I could add some more functional words that automatically click in a very familiar place in our mind, and that is maybe it would be easier to say, is Scripture written to reveal the being of God, the nature of God primarily, or is it written primarily to save us? And the answer is, yes, it is written to save us, absolutely. But its primary function is to reveal God. The primary nature of Scripture is to reveal God. Maybe this is the introduction to a, to a topic that we'll discuss in other uh, sessions, uh, but it's enough here to just touch on that. As apostolics, we believe that Scripture's primary purpose is to reveal the nature of God. Yes, it does indeed save us. And we do believe in preaching salvation. In fact, here at our church just last week, we had two people receive the gift of the Holy Ghost and were baptized in Jesus' name. And they were the result of evangelistic efforts and Sunday school and uh, home Bible studies and knocking on doors and personal contacts. Yes, we do believe in preaching salvation from Scripture, but we know beyond the shadow of a doubt that Scripture's primary function is to reveal the nature of God. And as children of God, as Christians, uh, as apostolic people of God, we believe that life is supposed to be, this is what we mean when we say that Scripture is uh, written ontologically or revelatory, that it's written to reveal God's nature. What we mean is that uh, life, when we ask the question, what does life, what does it mean to live life theologically? We mean that life is oriented, revolves around, is founded on the understanding, the knowledge of God. That life is oriented around the knowledge of God. Life is not primarily oriented around being saved. Uh, that sounds uh, contradictory to the way some people think, but life is properly oriented when it is oriented around 
the knowledge of God. Okay, let's talk about that. What does it mean to live life theologically, or what does it mean to have a life that is oriented around the knowledge of God? What does it mean to approach life theologically, as opposed to, let's add another word that might, that's a good connector word to soteriology. Uh, what does it mean to live life theologically as opposed to religiously? Um, and religion is not an evil word, but it is not the primary thing uh, in Scripture. The primary thing in Scripture is that God's nature is revealed. Uh, and we would say uh, life is oriented around the knowledge of God, the revelation of God's nature, as opposed to a life being oriented around religion, which its primary function is to reconnect the human being to God. That's what religion is primarily designed to do. Um, and so when we say that scripture is written uh, to orient us around the knowledge of God, and we talk about approaching life theologically, what we don't mean is this. We don't mean that we approach life from an academic uh, an academic discipline, which is what, when we say theology, that's what most people think. Uh, this is the initial thought. When we say theology, most people think, oh, okay, some kind of academic thing. But what is meant by approaching life theologically is that a Christian life is one that bases itself, number one, on seeing God, and number two, on what we would call the imitation of the divine. We see him and we imitate him. Now, that may not be the classic preaching that you've heard, but the truth of the matter is we are made in his image. And part of our responsibility as human beings is to come back to the image of God and embrace it. This is the revelation of what it means to live theologically, that I look less and less like a fallen human being and more and more like the image of God that he created us in. So for just a moment, let's think about the word that we've been using. Let's think about the word theology. It's made up of two in English, a prefix and a suffix. This is very classic understanding that most of you already have. But the word theology has a prefix and a suffix. The prefix theo or theos in Greek. Uh, it translates to God, theo, theos, God. This is, if you look that up in the New Testament, the Greek word theos means God. The suffix Logi uh, comes from the Greek word that everyone is familiar with, especially out of John 1 and 1. It comes from the Greek word logos, so theology, lo, the logi at the end of theology. Uh, it comes from logos, which means word. So there's the idea of speech that's connected to it. So in English, the classic way that theology is defined is to say theology is the study of of God. Maybe a little additional understanding here would help theos and logi or theology, that which can be said about God, God and word, God and speech, that which can be said about God. And we would add that which can be said about God as is found exclusively in his word, in the word of God. So here's the question. Here's the question. There's a lot to talk about here, by the way. Maybe this is just the introduction of some topics. There's a lot to talk about here. Uh, how do we close the gap between what we see and understand of God in this book? How do we close the gap between what we know, what we read? How do we close that gap between this and how 
we live in our everyday life. How do we live life theologically? Well, let's get very practical here. Are there any examples in scripture of a of people who live a theological life? Is there a doorway in scripture uh, where that when we read it, we understand, okay, this is opening up our mind, opening up our heart. This is opening up a door so that when we step through over that threshold, that we have, we've closed the gap. We've made the connection between, uh, between the God that we know and the life that we live so that we are living a theological life. Is there an example of this? And the answer is yes. The answer is yes. And one of there, in fact, there's many, there's many. And one of them is our, the opening passage that we read at the very beginning of this session, Psalm 103. Let me read it to you again. Psalm 103, verses 1 and 2. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Now, let me just uh, touch base here with this idea. The Psalms are... Uh, very practical things. It's part of wisdom literature, and it it uh, demonstrates wisdom in your relationship with God. And it's something of uh, it's something of a misnomer that they are called psalms, meaning that they are um, meaning that they are songs that are sung. The Hebrew word or the Hebrew title for psalms is not psalm. Uh, that's the Greek title, but the Hebrew title for psalms is tehelim, which means worship. Our worships, uh, Tehillim, plural, worships, and it is a book of worship. It is a yes, there is singing in it, but it is a book of prayer. Psalms is how you pray if you're if you're trained uh, as a Hebrew. Now that's a very simple way to look at it. Yes, it, it, there is singing in it, but it's also. Uh, how you get in touch with God. It is wisdom in your relationship with God. So when Psalm 103 gives a double emphasis and says, bless the Lord, O my soul, in verse 1, and bless the Lord, O my soul, in verse 2, it's adding something. It's it, Bless the Lord, It's oh, when it says that twice, it's putting emphasis on something that it couldn't do because it didn't have an exclamation point. And this is this is something that's well known uh, with people who have been around the Word of God and have have uh, treated the Word of God with care and respect for years. It's it's adding a double emphasis. Bless the Lord, O my soul. It's almost like preaching. Uh, the verse, the first line. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. I want you to notice how intensely personal that is. How intensely personal it is. Bless the Lord on my soul and all that is within me. These two verses that introduce Psalm 103 are simultaneously intensely personal and intensely theological. Bless the Lord on my soul. Listen, you'll hear it. Bless the Lord on my soul and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord on my soul, verse 2, and forget not all his benefits. Um, maybe in our text-oriented English, the equivalent would be uh, the the equivalent would be writing in all caps. That double emphasis, "Bless the Lord, O my soul," it would be the equivalent of writing in all caps and putting an exclamation point at the end. Uh, get your attention, and then further the use of the phrase that we've already pointed out, and all that is within me. This shows, uh, boy, I'm going to use a strong word here. 
and all that is within me. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me shows an intolerance of anything less than the total human being uh, being involved in this prayer, being involved in blessing the Lord. Every part of you has to bless the Lord is the implication here. So the whole man, listen to that. This is what we talked about earlier. The whole man has to be oriented around the knowledge of God. It's intensely personal and it's intensely theological. And those two come together in those two verses. This is one example. There's many of them in scripture. Bless the Lord, all my soul and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Next line. And forget not all his benefits. Think about that. The whole man is called into concert to bless the Lord and to have something happen in your mind. To forget not. Your thoughts are supposed to be oriented around him, and your worship accomplishes that. Your prayer accomplishes that. The whole man, and it begins up here, and forget not all his benefits. Think about that. Psalm 103, as you get into verse 3, Psalm 103, you'll read this later. It begins to provide a list of benefits. If verse 2 tells us to forget not all his benefits then the rest of the psalm provides a list of those benefits. And all of them are not just benefits that the Lord gives, but they are benefits that are from his very nature. In other words, it's not just something that he does. It's something that he is. It's who he is. Okay, uh, so as you go through that list, think about this. We're talking about the theological here, the connection between this is how you live a theological life is the connection between the intensely personal and the intensely theological. And this is what goes on. And so when this list is given about the benefits of God, it's not just things that God does. It's things that God is. It it doesn't just recall uh, God's deeds. It presents God's nature. This is the listing. This is the rest of the listing of Psalm 103. It talks about the the list in Psalm 103 talks about God's omnipotence. This is part. This is one of the attributes of. This is one of the ways His nature is understood. His omnipotence is there. His omniscience is there. His mercy is listed. His grace is listed. His forgiveness is listed. His redeeming power is listed, and it goes. On And right in the middle of this psalm, once that list has begun, I want you to listen to verses 6 and 7 of Psalm 103. Listen to, that, listen to the connection between, this is how a theological life, this is one example of how, you, of how we get started living a theological life, where the intensely personal is connected to the intensely theological, where my life is connected to the nature of God. That's what it means, where my life becomes oriented around the nature of God, where I bless him and I forget not, my mind is right, I forget not all his benefits. Right in the middle, listen to Psalm 103, verses 6 and 7. This is what it says. The Lord executeth righteousness and judgment for all that are oppressed. Listen to verse 7. I'm, I'm going to read these, uh, these first five words uh, very slow. He made known his ways. He made known his ways unto Moses, his acts unto the children of Israel. How theological. His ways are made known, that which may be known of God, that which may be said of God. His ways are made known. 
That's what is so powerful here. We're seeing the connection, the grafting in, the living of a theological life. That which is known of God all of a sudden becomes something. It's not some distant thing. It's not just a concept, but it's something that I'm living. It's something that I'm praying. It's something that is a part of my life, and I can't separate from it. And this is what's supposed to happen. This is what it means to live a theological life. What a theological statement that God's attributes, that God's nature would be listed, and he would say, he made his ways known, or he made known his ways. How theological. And all of a sudden, the gap is closed between the knowledge of God and the manner of living that the man that prayed this prayer prayed and made that connection, and you and I are supposed to make that prayer. Or excuse me, you and I are supposed to make that connection, and we do it through prayer, and we do it through worship, and we do it through devotion, and we do it through godly habits. All of this, this is how we are not just living religiously. We are not just living this way so that we don't go to hell or so that we can go to heaven. We're living this way so that we can demonstrate to the world God's nature. His very being is demonstrated by us. So what's the big challenge that you and I face in 2024? What's the big challenge? Well, the big challenge the Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthian church. You can read about it in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5. This is what it says. Listen to this. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Listen to verse 5. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself. Notice what it says here. Every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Hmm. This is the big battle that you and I face. It's the test. It's one of the tests for idolatry as to whether or not something exalts itself. God, you will exalt God in your life. God's not going to come in and take over. You will submit to him. You will exalt him. This is why, this is why living a theological life begins with prayer, begins with worship, begins with devotion. It begins with uh, praying until your mind has been altered so that you forget not all his benefits, so that you are made aware again of his nature that he made known. And all of a sudden that grafting in begins to happen. That's the big fight though in this day is the things that we have to pull down, the things that have to, we have to bring into captivity in our mind, bring it into captivity in our mind, that which we think, the, the, the thing where, the, where we're supposed to think God thoughts, theology, where we're supposed to speak God things, that which can be said about God. This is the big challenge in 24 or beyond. And apparently back in Paul's day when he was writing to the Corinthian church and before that, and he said, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. My friends, my brothers, my sisters, this is where we're at. But I'm going to tell you, when you and I begin to adopt a life that is not just oriented around being saved. Because if you orient your life around being saved, you'll make all kinds of concessions. Uh, you'll make all kinds of deals, compromises. And you'll say, uh, does that, if I do such and such, does that mean I'm not saved? Uh, 
Uh, if I do this, if I, if I preach this way, if I, uh, it, it, does that mean that people can't be saved? Well, the truth of the matter is life isn't oriented first around being saved. The truth of the matter is life is oriented first about around the revelation of God and not just the revelation of God in scripture, but the revelation of God in his people, in his church. So this is the battle. We have to cast down everything that exalts itself every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. This is how we live life theologically. We close that gap by our prayer, our devotion, our giving to the mission of God. And I don't just mean financially, but I mean of your personal energy, your personal dedication. You give yourself. This is a part of living theologically. Let's embrace what it means to be a revelatory people of God. Let's give everything that we have. Let's cast, those, cast down those things that exalt themselves against the knowledge of God. We'll see you next time. God bless you.